0: Assassin's Creed Origins was Ubisoft's first delve into the RPG genre with the Assassin's Creed franchise. Simply put, Origins is an attempt to provide a sprawling open world to the game player with multiple gameplay styles supported within it. It was a simple and yet lofty goal for the developer of Assassin's Creed Unity and Syndicate, both of which had their own respective problems. Needless to say, a lot was rioting on Assassin's Creed Origins, and Ubisoft had to put out a really strong competitor here if they wanted the franchise to regain the momentum it previously held. Now I went into this game very excited about the setting, I was one of those kids when I was younger who was obsessed with ancient Egypt and would spend all of my time reading books and looking at pictures of the great pyramids and the tombs within them. And I was surprised to see that I was not the only one who was incredibly excited just for this setting. Ancient Egypt and Greco-Roman Egypt are both incredibly popular and fan-favorite locations and time periods, especially for video games. However, I'm sure I don't have to tell you that no game has ever really given us the ability to travel through and explore an ancient Mediterranean world in quite the same way that Assassin's Creed Origins is at the very least attempting to. This of course can be a good thing and a bad thing. It can be a good thing because many people are going to be excited for the title and excited to explore these worlds, however, it can also be a bad thing because the expectation is so high. However, instead of shying away from this fact, Ubisoft embraced it. So where they could have created simply a recreation of Alexandria similar to what they did for Paris in Assassin's Creed Unity, instead they chose to go the route of recreating the entire country of ancient Egypt. This means that we not only get to explore Alexandria with the Greco-Roman influences that it possesses, but we also get to explore the realms of the ancients in Thebes and in the ruins at Giza. We get to explore practically everything that this country and this ancient civilization had to offer. For this reason, I can confidently say that Assassin's Creed Origins is by far the most ambitious title, at least that I have come across in recent memory. Of course, we've gotten other great titles and great games that had large open worlds, such as The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild earlier this year, or Horizon Zero Dawn, but none of those games sought to recreate realistically an ancient world, civilization, and people. They were ambitious in their own right, but nothing applies quite as much pressure as the historical accuracy demanded from these settings. All said and told, the game is incredibly large and very ambitious, and I went into it with an open mind and yet very very excited, and it took me roughly 30 hours of gameplay to comfortably get through the main quest, and roughly 74% of everything the game had to offer, at least according to the in-game statistics. Now, according to howlongtobeat.com, a website that surveys game players to see how long it took them to complete particular titles in differing degrees, according to that website, it will take the average person about 23 hours to rush through the main story and about 39 hours to get through all of the main story and pretty much all of the side quests and extra content that you can encounter. However, if you are a completionist and you're looking to 100% every single location, Find everything that the game has to offer, it will take you roughly 67 hours of consistent gameplay time. When you average everything out, however, we're going to look at about 39 and a half hours for the average player to go through Assassin's Creed Origins and finish it to their content, at least on average. And to me, that seems like an accurate number. Now, 39 hours of gameplay is a long time, especially when we have so many other competing titles that are coming out this year that are absolutely phenomenal. So the obvious question is whether or not Assassin's Creed Origins Is worth your time? Well, that's the question I hope to answer throughout the course of this video. Throughout this critique, I'm going to be looking at the narrative, the gameplay, and many of the technical and mechanical elements of Assassin's Creed Origins to determine whether or not it is a great game and whether or not it's the game Ubisoft needed in order to save the franchise. However, for those of you who have not played this game yet and don't want to encounter all of the countless spoilers we're going to be discussing throughout this video, I can say confidently that this is a game that you should play. Absolutely, I recommend this 100%, regardless of what console you're playing on or if you're playing on PC, this game is worth your time. But That's enough buildup. As always, timestamps are included in the description box below for you to jump forward to whichever section you would like to hear or if you'd like to watch this video in parts. And, as always, I highly value your feedback and would love to hear everything you have to say about this game, down in the comment section below. But with all that said, let's get started. Starting off the narrative, let's discuss the new protagonist for Origins, Bayek. Now, Bayek is a Magi, who is essentially the ancient Egyptian equivalent of a sheriff or some sort of state marshal. He's in charge of enforcing the laws of Egypt and ensuring that its citizens are protected. However, this doesn't necessarily mean following the orders and rules and laws of the residing superpower, in this case Rome. Now, this is actually often used as the justification for Bayek's actions that his duty is to the citizens of Egypt and not, instead, to the Roman guards who are in control over those citizens. It's the typical Ubisoft Assassin's Creed power structure that they like to set up in order to justify the actions of their protagonists and avoid any sort of ludonarrative dissonance where you see a guy saying that he's the good guy and the the hero and that he's actually helping when in reality he's running around a country-sized map murdering countless thousands of people. For the sake of the game, Bayek does a good job and I actually kind of like him as a protagonist and I started to like him more and more as I went through the game. Bayek does have a backstory, however, we don't really get to play through much of it or see much of it, at least not until much later in the game. They really break it up here to the point where many people who have played the game that I've spoken to haven't actually followed it hardly at all and can't actually tell you what Bayek is doing and why he's doing it at a given moment. They've sort of checked out. And I can actually sympathize to this feeling. I wouldn't have been able to follow the story unless I was actually playing through the game intently focused because I knew I was going to be making this critique. If I had just casually been playing through the game, I'm sure at some point I would have mentally checked out and gone about just running, doing small missions, not really paying that much attention to what was going on. For this reason, I would have liked to have seen more small character building moments early on in the game to in a way sort of loosen up Bayek as a protagonist to the audience, but they do come later in the game with small interactions especially with Aya, Bayek's wife, and some other main characters that come into the plot about 15 or 20 hours in. Now, What is Bayek's story, you may ask? Why is he doing what he's doing in the game, is there a motivation, or is it the typical sort of Assassin's Creed, I need to do this because reasons type of scenario? Well actually, he does have a story, and it's pretty simple. Basically, Bayek's son has been murdered, and he is hoping to achieve some sort of revenge against the parties responsible, and he uses the help of his wife and many others along the way. However, as he seizes this revenge, he realizes that he actually has a greater duty to his kinsmen and then he forms what will eventually become known as the Assassin's Creed in order to fulfill that duty. The main problem with the narrative, however, is that this takes a long time to unravel, which we'll discuss in a moment. Before I get into some of the negatives of the story, however, I want to just say that Bayek's interplay with his wife Aya is actually pretty fantastic. I really enjoyed these moments where we got to go through gameplay sequences or narrative sequences together. They clearly care about each other, but eventually they choose to part paths for the sake of the greater good, at least as they see it. You get to play as both throughout the game. You mostly play as Bayek, but you do get several large instances where you will play as Aya going through, for instance, the Senate and assassinating Caesar, which was one of my personal favorite moments in the game, and it only comes right before the ending credits. Bayek and Aya are actually very strong individually, however when they get together they are unwilling to compromise, specifically Aya is unwilling to compromise for the sake of each other. Throughout the game Bayek is doing what's best for Egypt, at least as he describes it and understands it, and Aya seems to be helping Cleopatra no matter what she's doing even if it seems to be for her own self-motivated reasons as opposed to the greater good of Egypt as a whole. Bayek is constantly explaining frustration and expressing this to Aya, however, she's unwilling to listen, saying that they owe Cleopatra so much and they should just get over it and deal with it because she's the best they've got. There's a few ways you could look at it. You could say that this is the typical uh, empowered woman that's striking off on her own and doesn't need a man. However, I don't think it's that at all, I don't think this is a Ubisoft attempt to preach feminism. instead I actually read this as simply two people who are highly motivated and conflict with each other as a result of those motivations and ambitions. It's a tale as old as time. Two people get together because they're attracted to each other's ambition, but eventually that very ambition, the very thing that drew them together in the first place, actually comes to drive them apart. At the end of the game, after the creed has been established, Aya and Bayek choose to go their separate ways because their personal relationship is actually preventing them from serving the greater good as they each see it. Aya needs to go off and kill Caesar, and Bayek needs to help out the people still in Egypt. All told, I really like how this was done and why they're doing what they're doing. I think it makes sense and their characters are truthful enough to the point where I can believe what's going on, at least on screen. However, I don't really like the mechanical and technical implementation of this storytelling. I would have personally liked to have seen many more situations where we just see an extended cutscene of these two talking, which is something we're going to discuss in a moment, specifically why Ubisoft seems afraid to have cutscenes longer than 30 seconds at a time, and when they do have cutscenes longer than 30 seconds, they're covering the completely wrong topics and subjects and completely missing the point. And this is where we start to slide into some of the criticisms of the story and the way that the narrative is done. In general, I think the story makes sense Bayek's motivations are clear and make sense based on who he is and the people around him. I think the setup is good. It's the implementation that I have an issue with. As I just said a moment ago, Ubisoft seems terrified of having prolonged interactions where two characters are speaking to each other as though they're actual people. Whenever two characters are alone having a conversation in a main quest cutscene in Assassin's Creed Origins, it's always incredibly vague language. It's almost as if they're trying to write the way they think people would have talked back then in the ancient days, instead of just how people would talk to each other. It doesn't mean that you need to throw in lingo and all sorts of slang and curse words. No, you can have an honest, normal conversation without all of that. However, there isn't anything normal about the discussions that are had during these cutscenes. The best way I can describe it is stiffness, and this is how I describe Bayek as a character, especially for the first 15 hours of the game. He's incredibly stiff, he's not opened up, you have no reason to really like him, you're sympathetic to him, but that doesn't mean that you like him. You understand why he's doing what he's doing, you feel bad for him, but he's not a guy that you would want to go and grab a beer with, in the same way that Arno would be a likable person and somebody that would likely be very fun to hang out with on your personal time. at least. The Arno before the character change and before he gets into the Assassin's Creed and gets super boring, blah blah blah. You know my point. It really takes Bayek about 15 hours of gameplay before he passes from tolerable and somebody that you just are playing as and you sympathize with to actually becoming a likable character thanks to some of the later in game quests for higher levels and also the main story quest lines that also give you reasons to like him. Now this flows forward into my next major criticism, which is that his backstory, and pretty much the entire story of this game in general, is intentionally vague. It's not accidentally vague, it's intentionally vague. And it feels as though the writers thought up the story, they printed it out on individual sheets of paper, they lined up all of these pieces of paper on the lawn chronologically, and then they decided to drive a John Deere tractor, lawnmower over it all, only then did they look and find the order and then mix it all together and made the story out of that. It's incredibly vague and it's incredibly jungled to the point where I don't feel as though I can honestly tell you chronologically what happens in what order, which person was killed at which point for what reason. Now this leads directly into probably my greatest criticism of the narrative of Assassin's Creed Origins, specifically that the story is intentionally vague and I, to be honest, don't really understand why the developers and the writers felt they needed to do this. The game opens up with you running through ruins with lots of treasure in what is a very visually satisfying and impressive space, and then killing somebody at which point you go outside meet your friend and ride through the desert. However, you don't really understand why you're doing this or who this character that you're playing as is. You don't really understand any of that. All you know is that Egypt is pretty and you're riding on a horsey and it's kind of cool. It's actually eerily reminiscent of the opening of The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, a game which the developers of Assassin's Creed Origins have said many times was an inspiration for them. Specifically, that game opens up with Geralt riding on the back of a horse with his pal Vesemir talking to each other having a conversation as they go through a land that they both used to know, and used to know specifically before it was ravaged by war. In the opening of this game, we ride on the back of horses with an old pal of ours through a land we used to know before it was invaded by a stronger external force that we personally don't really like or agree with. That is very reminiscent. Maybe it's a tip of the hat to The Witcher 3, or maybe it's just a coincidence. Nonetheless, they are very similar. However, that opening for The Witcher 3 shows something very, very telling, especially when we compare it to Assassin's Creed Origins, specifically that The Witcher 3 was not afraid to have its characters opened up and express their feelings in a straightforward, honest way where you could understand what they were saying and what they were feeling in a given moment. The Witcher 3 opens with Geralt having a dream that's very personal, very emotionally raw, and he's honest about it, at least if you you choose the honest dialogue prompts and explain your feelings to Vesemir. Now, keep in mind, this is in the first 10 minutes of the game. You actually get to see what Geralt thinks and feels about the characters that you are going to be interacting with for the next 20, 30, 40 hours of gameplay, and that's in the first 10 minutes. You know exactly where the character stands, where you should stand, and what's going on, whereas in Assassin's Creed Origins, we weirdly have to wait 15 hours before we even fully grasp what's going on. There's a directness to the way The Witcher 3 approached its storytelling where they could have vague stories that are bounced around and aren't fully explained until later on, but you still understood as much as the main character did. It's not like they were keeping information from the player, the player was on the same page as the protagonist, as the person that they were playing as, whereas in Assassin's Creed Origins, we don't actually know everything that's going on inside Bayek's head, it's this weird. Middle ground, and I personally think it holds the narrative back. Or should I say, it holds the narrative back? <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. I just thought of that just now. I had to put that in the video. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll move on. All of this to say, I've heard many gamers, many game reviewers, and other critics say that the story in this game was almost incomprehensible to the point where they didn't really know what was going on. And I understand this. However, I fundamentally disagree with the notion that it's not followable or intelligible, I think you can follow it, it just requires a fair amount of focus and thought, it's not all gonna be handed to you, and neither was the narrative in The Witcher 3, that was a game that you had to pay attention during the cutscenes, you couldn't be watching an episode of South Park while playing the game, you just couldn't, if you tried to do that, you wouldn't know what the hell was going on. Believe me, I tried. Now, whenever there's a fundamental design issue with the game, I always like to try to figure out why it was designed that way, because clearly this was a choice. The way the story was structured was something that Ubisoft chose to do, that Ashraf Ismail, the game director, chose to have as a structure for the story and a setup for all of the characters and the narrative as a whole. Why did they choose to do it? Well, as far as I can gather, and from my own understanding of their writing process, and just my thoughts in general trying to figure this out, Uh, the only way I can justify this decision is because it acts in many ways as a carrot on a stick for the player. Essentially, they're afraid that if you know exactly what's going on in Bayek's Head and exactly what's going on, that you're going to lose interest and aren't going to feel the need to continue playing. You're going to know exactly what's going on and there's no going to be no real reason to continue. However, this is a fundamentally wrong idea, at least I believe so. It can be done correctly in many cases, but I don't think a video game is the place for it. What I mean by that is that the narrative is held over like a carrot on a stick over the player, basically the horse's mouth, in order to drive them forward, to allow them to continue, to give them a reason to basically continue playing the game and not quit on it. As they say, too much of any good thing is a bad thing, and in this case, it's very, very true. You can have a vague story with vague mechanics that are told in a vague way, however, It can eventually get to the point where it's overkill, and it's so vague that it's completely incomprehensible. Simply put, these types of story mechanics can go very badly very quickly, and they tend to work in this way. They start with an interesting build where you get intrigued by what the characters may have to tell, and what their backgrounds may hold. Then it continues to intrigue you as you learn more about each and every single one of these characters and their motivations, why they're doing what they're doing, and what they're going to do next. Then after that, you begin to doubt the future of the story and whether or not the writers actually know what they're doing and whether or not the story will resolve itself comfortably and to your satisfaction. At which point, you are disappointed because you realize the story actually isn't very good and they didn't actually have anything in mind. They were just writing plot twists because they thought a plot twist was a good idea, even though they hadn't justified it within their own mind to begin with. At which point, you get one other mediocre resolve where they try to tie everything together right before everything ends and you're left with just a mediocre feeling as the result of a mediocre story. And unfortunately, Assassin's Creed Origins is really no different. As the story continues and as it goes on, you learn more about the characters, you start to like the characters more, but the last hour and a half or two hours of the main quest is almost completely nonsensical, to the point where it's jumping around so much, it's going through characters like tic-tacs through a tic-tac addict. I don't know, that's the only thing I could think of in terms of an analogy. It really just got to the point where it was disappointing because we were just pumping through characters and plot lines. I didn't know exactly what was going on or why I was going somewhere. All I knew is that this is where I needed to go to continue the story and then the game was over. It really does seem as though the writers started off very ambitiously with a real strong idea of where they wanted to go with the story. However, as they began working, they realized their goals were too lofty and that they were going to need to pull back. So, they began to pull back and simplify the story, however, they realized that they had already set up many other plot points, characters, villains, and motivations that they needed to justify in the later game, and so they tried to wrap it all together very quickly and rashly and it just didn't turn out well all told the main story of assassin's creed origins really builds up nicely but leaves you wanting more and the resolve is completely unsatisfying and frankly disappointing when you realize the writers didn't actually have anything in mind for these major plot points and instead were just kind of guessing and trying to create something interesting for the sake of creating something interesting as opposed to telling a story that they felt really needed to be told. And With that, let's move on to the side quests. The side quests in Assassin's Creed Origins is something that was greatly discussed and debated leading up to the game's release. The game director Ashraf Ismail said this was going to be a major focus of the game and that they were focusing on trying to deliver a story and a narrative with every single side quest so you never were performing actions for no reason. You were doing everything for a purpose for an actual person in the game world. And I actually have to say, they succeed in this. Every single side quest I encountered had characters that needed something for real reasons, requested my help, and I helped them and got an actual response from those characters as a result of my actions. It was fantastic, it was phenomenal, it was something I didn't expect to see and enjoy as much as I did, however it was not perfect. Now there's some great examples of side quests and narratives for those side quests within Assassin's Creed Origins, many of them so memorable I can list them off right now off the top of my head. For instance, uh, one side quest that stood out to me was where a couple was asking Bayek to retrieve the bodies of their loved ones from where they had just been mauled by a bunch of hippos just a short distance away. So I went, collected the bodies, killed the hippos so that they could be buried and sent off to the Field of Reeds. side quest that I really enjoyed was when I investigated a massive crocodile in the Fayum Oasis that actually had been believed to be a representative of Sobek and was incredibly sick. At which point I investigated him and found out somebody had been paid to poison that crocodile. And then as I went on I also came across another side quest where, for instance, a young woman was trying to commission your help because her husband was missing, so you go looking for her husband, rescue him from from a small island where he had been deserted and was being attacked by crocodiles. I killed the crocodiles and took him on a boat back to this woman who claimed she was his wife, at which point I realized that she had actually gotten this man incredibly drunk and had forced him to marry her because she wanted to be married. At which point the woman's brothers came out and I killed them in order to let this man go free. One of my favorite small details from this game entirely was when I was doing a side quest and helped a uh, NPC who was a playwright find and save his manuscript that had been seized by some of the Roman soldiers. A play which would later be called My Pharaoh Lady, which I just love so much I can't even explain it. Really, each side quest has a story which is really nice and I enjoy it. However, It's very frustrating because the developers never actually stick on one story long enough for you to truly care. Every time you come across a story or a narrative within these side quests, it's over before you can even say short side quest. It's so quick and short that you really do have trouble justifying getting committed or to honestly caring about any of these characters at all. In the same way that they're afraid to have any long cutscenes or conversations between characters, they really do seem afraid to have a sort of side quest character that shows up multiple times to the point where you actually get truly connected with them and care about what's going on in their lives. Now, as for the way that all of these stories are implemented, specifically with the way that the cutscenes are designed, they're actually all done pretty well, at least the cutscenes that are actual cutscenes. However, for most of the side quests that you will be encountering, you're not actually going to be seeing cutscenes. You're going to be seeing essentially short little clips of gameplay dialogue where the game isn't actually giving you a camera setup, instead they're just having you watch two NPCs essentially talk, and that's what it feels like, the camera rotates around, you don't have any say in the conversation, it doesn't even look particularly good, you just get to listen to Bayek talk with somebody for uh, 30 seconds to a minute at a time, and it's actually kind of weird because you can rotate the camera around, you just can't actually participate in what's going on, you feel as though you just have to sit there waiting your turn. This is one thing I would really hope that they fix in the next game. Specifically, that they're able to find some way of streamlining their process so that they can have cutscenes for essentially every dialogue interaction in the game, such as you have in The Witcher 3, where every single time you speak with somebody, you get a cinematic camera angle, you get something that's really good looking, and you don't have to worry too much about it. It just looks good, and it's going to feel right when you watch it play back. You don't feel as though you're waiting your turn, you feel as though you're watching a clip from a film and the last thing we'll discuss before we get into the gameplay is the lip-syncing this is something that a lot of people were concerned with after watching the e3 demos and uh, gameplay show off that they did back at those conferences and i can actually say confidently now that they listened to that criticism and worked their butts off to fix it and sure enough They did, and as far as I can tell, there aren't any major issues. There's a few NPCs, especially later in the game, that are smaller characters that seem to have some dialogue, lip syncing issues, but for the most part, it works really well, and you're not going to be noticing any major problems. I do have to show you this one example, though, because I found this absolutely hilarious when I encountered it. Senators, we still have a voice in this forum. See that, it didn't match at all. But regardless, for the most part it works well and it's actually kinda cool to see that Ubisoft listened to people's criticisms specifically about the dash button and the lip syncing after E3 and applied that to the game and I just find that really cool that they had that quick of turnaround to make such a fundamental change in the game. And so, in closing, the narrative for Assassin's Creed Origins is actually fairly decent and the characters are likable enough. However, the execution of the story is done so vaguely and so poorly that it's incredibly hard to follow what's going on, why it's happening, and why these characters should have any craps given about them. As for the side quests, they're all approached in a very interesting and intriguing way where every single one of them has a story to tell, and the world itself has many stories to tell whether you come across a little note in an encampment, or you're just sailing along the sea, you come across an island with a note on it telling you where to find some buried treasure. It's all very well done and there's a real attention to detail here that I can appreciate, however the main quest is the one thing that falls flat and there's a weird fear of committing to longer plot lines that I can't really explain reasonably. All told, it's far better than anything the series has yet offered, however it's still got some major issues that can't be overlooked. But With all that said, let's get into the gameplay. Now, to start off our discussion of the gameplay, the first thing I have to let you know is that the game's world is gigantic, that's really all I can describe it as, it is massive, it is huge, there is tons to do, and it's very densely packed, while still being believable as a livable and habitable space. So often when we play big open world games like this, everything is so stretched out and empty that it doesn't feel as though it's a real place. But Ubisoft's recreation of ancient Egypt is just that and is believable. To accommodate this world design and the effort they put into this, Ubisoft got rid of the minimap and instead went with a compass at the top of the screen, similar to what we had in Skyrim and other such open world titles. This is done to keep you from staring at your minimap and instead direct you towards a compass that you can glance at and then go back and drift your eyes down back towards the open world that they spent so much time and effort crafting. The HUD is also incredibly customizable, which I greatly appreciate because I tend to be a bit of a HUD snob. I really don't like most heads up displays. I find they're incredibly crowded and have so much needless information displayed. However, everything is gonna be customizable on this to the point where even on consoles, you can get it down to a very minimalistic view so that you get exactly what you want to see and so that you can enjoy the world that they've created. And it all works really, really well. The idea that I can explore ancient Egypt and the detail they've put into this—I can climb through the pyramids, looking in old tombs. I find in the sides of hills, and I can even fight Anubis at one point. Like it's so incredible to me. And as a nerd for Egypt, I absolutely love it. I just can't even explain how much I enjoyed exploring this world. I recognize that for other people who are not big fans of ancient in Egypt, it may not be a big deal and it might not matter that much to you, but for me it was totally engaging, absolutely just captivating. I can't nerd out about it enough. They did a fantastic job recreating this world. Now that I'm done geeking out, let's talk a little bit about the gameplay itself. Leveling to begin with. Leveling in past Assassin's Creed titles has been there, but it hasn't been very crucial or critical. In Assassin's Creed Syndicate, we could go up to a level 9 and we could be fighting all of these heavily armored and powerful characters, but it really didn't feel as though leveling was that big of a deal and you didn't actually know at which point you were going to reach a certain level. It was kind of just up in the air and lightheartedly tacked onto the game. However, as I said at the beginning of the video, Assassin's Creed Origins is a concerted effort to make this a step towards an rpg first and foremost and that's what they tried to do here there's 40 levels that you can reach each of which are going to unlock an ability point and you can unlock ability points also by reading stele throughout the world these ability points can be spent on of course abilities that will unlock new things that by can do or that senu can do as well All of this is based on XP that's gained through performing certain activities or completing quests or discovering locations. And so it's a pretty standard affair as far as RPGs go, however, there are pros and there are cons to the system. The pro, of course, is that it is clearly outlined how exactly you will progress and you can plan your gameplay accordingly. It follows practically every RPG in recent memory using this design, and I actually really enjoy it, and I think it's a good thing that Ubisoft went this direction, because I think that this is what the game should have been doing all along. The con is that this constantly affects the way that you interact with the game world, often in a bad way. I actually found myself putting aside side quests that had low XP rewards in favor of chasing the high XP ones instead. As far as I can tell, the amount of XP awarded is almost exactly proportional to the amount of effort that the developers put into it. One side quest for instance, I actually did the math on this, one side quest that gave out 1500 XP that I encountered. Encountered was actually completable in 3 minutes and 22 seconds. At least that's how long it took me. Whereas one that was worth 3500 XP took me 13 minutes and 43 seconds to complete, and was, to be honest, more fun. The other bad element of this is that the amount of XP awarded for a particular quest doesn't actually drastically change as the level of that quest increases, meaning that the amount of XP granted is often identical whether you're completing a level 15 quest or a level 37 quest. And I know that doesn't sound like a big deal or it even sounds good because you can go back and easily farm through quests that you didn't previously complete, however that's partially the problem. This makes choosing between tackling a higher level quest or an easier lo- lower level quest a no brainer. The one saving grace to this frustrating part of the game is, of course, the number of side quests at each level. This is a highly curated and carefully arranged system so that each side quest doesn't necessarily get harder uh, to complete as you go up in level, at least on a mechanical level. In a technical level, they do, uh, meaning specifically that the enemies are going to get higher level, they're going to have better armor, they're going to have better gear, they're going to have larger health bars, but on a mechanical level as to what you're doing, it won't require more skill to complete a level 37 quest as opposed to a level 27 quest. Furthermore, the number of side quests available at a particular level are the same as the number of side quests that will be needed in terms of XP when combined with the main quests for that level, the two level up to the next level where the process just repeats. This basically means that everyone is going to have the exact same experience, and for an RPG, this is not good. What this means on a practical level is that everybody when they reach level 15 is going to need to do the level 15 side quests and the main quest for level 15 in order to level up to level 16 and they're going to need to repeat the process to reach level 17 and then level 18. And when everybody is having the exact same experience when playing an RPG, one has to ask whether or not it's actually an RPG. Now, of course, this is Assassin's Creed's first attempt at creating an RPG, but moving forward they will need to fill the world with either more side quests of this length or lengthen the encounters and increase the XP reward for each of these quests in order to ensure that everyone can experience the world in their own personal way. Now that brings up the topic of gear levels. Gear now has levels too and can be crafted or purchased or upgraded using blacksmiths in the world or using materials that you collect in the world as well. Having shifted towards an RPG, this was, of course, a design must, and it actually works really well. If you have a weapon that you like, you can then upgrade it for Drachma as you level up, which I actually really enjoyed because I found a pair of dual daggers that I really liked, were legendary in terms of their classification, I wanted to keep using them, and I was able to upgrade them to my current level every time I leveled up so I could keep using them and they would have a comparable damage output. Now there are heavy weapons, light weapons, speed-based weapons, and generic sort of middle of the road performing weapons, and the leveling system doesn't actually build your character around just one of these types of weapons, meaning that you can play really however you want throughout the course of the game, allowing you to quote unquote role play as you see fit. And I actually really liked this design choice because it made it so as I leveled up, I didn't feel as though I had to commit to my dual, uh, dual wielding swords, I could actually go and try out a mace or a spear for a particular encounter if I noticed they had a certain type of shield configuration. I could adapt to the world and to the way the enemies were approaching every interaction and i actually really like it some people i know won't like it because they'd rather specialize under one weapon and just use one however i actually found myself feeling the opposite Now, the detail in this game is absolutely incredible. The AI has been noticeably improved, and I'm going to discuss these details later, specifically once I get into some of the stealth discussion. so don't worry, we'll talk about it. But I can say the AI has been noticeably improved. And of course, the day and night cycle is now a major mechanic, being something that you can constantly swap between to change and cycle 12 hours forward into the night if you're in the day, or into the day if you are currently in the night, allowing you to customize your approach towards a certain encampment in a very Far Cry style based on the time of day and what those NPCs will be doing at that particular time of day. Now as for the classic Assassin's Creed parkour mechanics, this has also greatly been improved. Now, not only are there not multiple buttons you have to hold down in certain configurations in order to climb, it just sort of works, and I really really enjoy it. Not many people have talked about it, at least as far as I've seen, many of them take this for granted, but there is a real attention to detail and there has been a focus placed on this free running. That I don't think has been placed on it in previous titles, at least the ones in recent memory. There is a real improvement here, and I think it's great. Specifically, you can climb almost anything. Of course, we have the entire country of Egypt to explore, and now we can climb up cliff faces and we can climb up trees that we previously couldn't climb up. It's actually very, very well done, and it's very reminiscent of actually the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild that released earlier this year. And I'm not saying any game copied the other, because of course this game would have been in development long before we ever saw a glimpse of Breath of the Wild, but they are very, very reminiscent of each other. I actually, however, believe Origins does this free climbing better than Breath of the Wild did, specifically in the climbing animations and the lack of a stealth bar that just ends up frustrating people. When you're climbing up a wall or a cliff, Bayek's hands will actually reach for the contours in the rock or the building, whereas in Breath of the Wild, Link just sort of shimmies his way up a particular cliff face, palming it like a basketball. It's actually really high quality in terms of the animations that they've put into Origins, and I think it's better than any other game with free running that we've seen, at least on this scale. And that of course leads me to saying that the animation work in general in this game is very well done. Uh, No sort of Mass Effect Andromeda issues here, at least as far as I encountered, everything is very smooth, save for a few performance related issues. But in general, the animations are done well, lip syncing for the most part is done very well, horses look as though they're actually running birds, as though they're actually flying hippos, as though, though they're actually walking, it's all done very well. Now, this brings me to the naval moments that I just had to mention during this critique that we actually encounter multiple times throughout Origins, something I didn't expect to see actually at all. Now these encounters are fun, but they're actually very infrequent. They sort of serve to remind you that this is the same team that made Black Flag while also making it clear that this is not an attempt to downright copy a previously successful game. And I think it succeeds, Origins really does stand on its own and doesn't feel as though they need to rely on a previously successful title. Now controls are, for the most part, very responsive, except for a few actions such as using smoke bombs and aerial attacks, which are both incredibly clunky and almost inexplicably so. And They always seem to happen when you don't want them to, and they don't happen precisely when you want them to. It's very frustrating, and I'm not sure why they are such such problem children, but nonetheless they are there. Now, as for stealth, stealth has been streamlined. After all, we are talking about an Assassin's Creed game. We need to discuss the stealth mechanics and what has been done to them. Now, There is a difference between streamlined stealth and simplified stealth. Many people mix up the two and believe that Assassin's Creed Origins' stealth mechanics have been simplified, much in the way that the RPG elements of Fallout 4 were simplified and not streamlined. There is a difference. Streamlined makes things more accessible and easier to interact with, whereas simplified just means that they're simple, they're easier, there's less depth to them. Now, Assassin's Creed has never been an incredible stealth game. Usually, it's something where you can sneak around, hiding in little groups of people, and then use throwing daggers to one-shot higher-level enemies in the head. Now, all of that is tied together and still works, however, you have much better ranged enemy options and you have to consider their improved AI, all at the same time as dealing with their new schedules that they're going to be interacting with constantly when they're going to bed at night or when they need to go and relieve themselves in the river. Those types of things now are built into every single character in the world and that has to be considered in every single stealth interaction. And so, I greatly disagree when people online or Reddit or wherever say that stealth is no longer a priority in Assassin's Creed, rather, they've empowered players to play the way they want to, to go in guns blazing with their maces and their shotgun-looking arrow-blasting bows or they can sneak their way in and play that way. Now it's an RPG, you can approach it the way you want to, at least for the most part. Now further discussing AI, as I said earlier, I was going to discuss it now, I'm going to discuss it now. So the differences in the AI is very noticeable. Every NPC has a schedule, things that they need to do, they have a job, they have a home, they have a bed where they go to sleep, and they go on that cycle every single day. You can follow them, you can watch them, they actually live their own sort of mini life, and it's really cool to see. It's something that many games have preached and claimed to have, but have never implemented in an honest or really intriguing way. Now, I actually encountered this on multiple levels in multiple cases with multiple NPCs. My favorite interaction for this particular example was when I was going through a military encampment and I was killing a few people and I went up to one of the guard towers, took out the guard and refilled my arrows on one of the little uh, refilling stations that they have up there. I then climbed away and was ready to go about my business. I pulled up Senu and started looking at the encampment as a whole, at which point I saw One of the guards walking towards the body, at which point he picked the body up after looking around for whoever might have perform this heinous act, and he carried the body down the stairs over to a large field where he laid the body down and left it to be, and when I ran over there, he had carried another body there, and as he walked away, he was saying how much this person would be missed, and how much they loved working together, blah blah blah, he was basically giving them a mini obituary in this small interaction I didn't need to see, and that most people probably won't see. I happened to kill one of his buddies and because one of his buddies died he took him over to a field where he would presumably later bury him and lay him to rest. It was a very nice touch and something that I honestly did not expect to see. Now, that level of attention to detail is something that's seen all throughout Origins in those little types of interactions that I didn't need to see, I didn't need to interact with, but I just did, and it reminded me of a moment in The Witcher 3 when I was going through, and no spoilers for that game, but there's a moment when a woman is basically exiled and sent to her death for a crime that she committed, and that's the last you see of her. However, it doesn't have to be, as I went through the game, about 20 gameplay hours later I was sailing along and I saw this rock and there was somebody chained to it I went up to the rock and I found sure enough that lady chained to it where it described where why she was executed and here lies blah 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 it was very interesting and it was something that I didn't need to find but I found it and the fact that I found it was so incredibly rewarding I honestly didn't know really how to respond to it and this little interaction and Assassin's Creed Origins is one such encounter. Now, as for combat, it has been completely reworked. It is now a hitbox system as opposed to the old paired animation system, and all that means is that now when you swing your weapon, there is a field or a box essentially where the weapon travels, and if a character or NPC is within that box, they will take damage based on what that weapon is and what your level is, blah, blah, blah. However, in the old paired animation system, you had to actually pair two characters together, the player character and an NPC, and they would play out an animation together, meaning that each of these NPCs would wait their turn, and you wouldn't ever get two of them attacking at the exact same time, and it just was clunky, it didn't work well, and it was a long-running joke, rather than an actual gameplay system. Now, to be fair, Assassin's Creed Origins new combat system has a very long learning curve, especially if you're coming off of Syndicate or Assassin's Creed Unity, as I was because I played those games in preparation for this one, so I could compare directly how far this game has either come or fallen. Now, right bumper and right trigger correspond to light and heavy attacks respectively, while left bumper corresponds to a block using whatever weapon or shield configuration you currently have enabled. Dash is one of the weakest elements of this system though. It has been improved from the animation set we saw at E3 this past summer. But it's still very very arcadey and it doesn't match the same level of realism that we see attempted elsewhere in the game and I really just don't like it. It could have simply been a roll, it could have been something like that, but instead it's this weird sort of shuffle and it just looks stupid to me, I don't know why. Now, In this combat system you can also build up an adrenaline meter that allows you to use a special ability that's determined by your weapon. Now, There are abilities that you can unlock through your ability menu that start this bar half or fully filled depending on which you have unlocked at a given time but it's a nice little detail because it allows you to perform special attacks and save those special attacks for some of the larger brute enemies and use and build up that meter on the lesser enemies. Now, the weakest element by far of the combat system is the lock on mechanic. You push down on the right stick to access this, and it's a mechanic than something that most fighting games with melee combat are going to have, especially when you throw in multiple enemies at a particular moment. However, it works very strangely in Origins, and I'm not really sure why. It's almost as though it's depth sensitive as opposed to just left or right or up or down. It shouldn't be this complicated to switch between enemies, but weirdly, when there's a group of six or seven NPCs attacking you and you lock onto one, if you flick the right stick to the right to switch, it actually shifts to the person in the back or to the front. It's very contextual, it really just doesn't make sense, and I absolutely hate it, and it turns out I'm not the only one. It seems to be the most hated element of the game, and it's something that I do have hope can be patched and fixed in the future, because of course it is just a little mechanic, I'm sure it's just a few pieces of code as to sensitivity and and how it calculates which enemy it should switch to, and I'm sure that can be improved, so maybe in a month it's not going to be an issue, but as of right now it's incredibly frustrating. Now, With that having been said, this is an attempted RPG, so there's multiple ways to play through and to approach the combat in this game. You can either perform the melee attacks, you can go with the stealth route, or you can choose to use ranged weapons, specifically bows, and each of these bows fall into their own respective categories. Specifically, there are speed-based bows, there are close-range damage-oriented bows that operate much like a shotgun, there's also long-distance or more sniping-oriented bows, and then there's the generic all-around bow that does sort of all of these things on a basic level. Now, I do want to mention that there is an ability that can be unlocked for the sniper bow specifically that allows you to control it as it goes through the air, very reminiscent of Batman Arkham, whatever game you want to name, where you can control the batarang as it goes through the air. It is very arcadey. I personally don't really like it, and I've tried using it as I did unlock that ability, but it doesn't work very well, and it's not something that fundamentally breaks the game. It's just sort of a stupid thing they added because they thought it would be fun. However, you don't have to use it. It is there, it is an option, but it's not as though there are quests that mandate its usage. It is there, you can use it if you want to. Most people, however, I would guess are never going to touch it. Now, I have to say, I love the ranged fighting in this game. The bows work very, very well. They tie into the combat flawlessly and very fluidly, and I actually found myself enjoying this bow combat far more than I actually enjoyed Horizon Zero Dawn's, and I know that might tick off a lot of people, but I'm just being honest on a personal level, I enjoyed this ranged combat far more than I enjoyed the combat in Horizon Zero Dawn. Horizon Zero Dawn's combat always just left me feeling very frustrated and feeling as though I just suffered a stroke, whereas Origins was actually fun and I often wanted more targets to snipe as a few, as opposed to less of them and more people i could just hit with my glowing blue stick so that is an element i do want to say that i personally enjoyed the combat in this game far more than i enjoyed the combat in horizon zero dawn now that's not saying much because the combat was one of the weakest elements of horizon zero dawn but nonetheless i felt that it should be said Now with all of this out there, I need to say that the combat has been by far the most polarizing element of Origins, just without a doubt it has been the most polarizing. Some people absolutely love it and others absolutely hate it and can't play the game as a result. I personally really like this system. Sure, it's not perfect or as highly polished as other games that offer similar systems, but for a series that has long had a combat system that was more of a punchline than a quality game mechanic, it's fantastic. Now, as for the technical side of the game, it is gorgeous to begin with. I don't need to explain this. If you've been watching the video this far through, you've already seen much of the game's gameplay, different biomes, different areas, and you can see this game is a looker through and through. However, it is very, very demanding on PC hardware, and this is a game that I could totally understand somebody choosing to play it on a console, such as the Xbox One X, as opposed to a PC. Now, part of this is reportedly due to the insane level of DRM installed on the PC version, at least reportedly, and that is tanking the CPU performance for many builds, which allows the Xbox One X to achieve 4K at 60 FPS while a comparable PC is struggling to hit 30 or 60 at regular 1080p resolutions. So it is something to consider if you're looking at getting this game for PC. If you can get it for a console, you will have less of an issue, but this is a game I would recommend only getting for PC if you have a 1070 or better. Or if you're watching this far in the future, they've optimized it, or if they've cracked the DRM and cracked Denuvo and they've removed it from the title, then in that case, I would consider getting it for a weaker build. But as of right now, it's incredibly demanding and is going to tank on lesser hardware. Furthermore, there are many strange moments of stutter where the frames per second is actually at a steady 60fps, but the motion on the screen drops to what looks like 20fps. I'm not sure what causes this, but it's totally and utterly immersion breaking and it's incredibly frustrating. And I don't know why it's happening, I don't know what might cause this, it's well above my pay grade, but the frames per second stays steady while the animations look as though they're dropping down into the teens. I I really can't explain it, it's very weird when it happens, because it really looks as though it's only occurring when the actual characters on screen are moving everything else is moving smoothly the environment the camera movement is smooth but the actual movements or walking animations are incredibly chunky and just don't look good at all I don't know what's doing it but it's there and that's something that will probably be patched out later but as of right now it is there Now, as for the music and soundtrack, this is part of the game that I'm very conflicted over because parts of it I really like and moments I think it's very minimalistic and I think it works and feeds into the idea that you're in this vast, empty world or a, a formerly fantastic and majestic civilization that has since fallen to the ways of the Romans or what have you. But at the same time, I wish that we would have gotten a slightly better soundtrack that employed much more of the actual instruments of this land and area. And there were actually many moments when the great big scenes and set pieces were in front of me and nothing was actually taking place. I felt very, very awkward almost as I watch this big behemoth walk out on screen and then a sort of piddly sort of pathetic soundtrack playing in the background. I don't know if it was a glitch or if it's just a weird sort of way that the game chooses which audio tracks to play but nonetheless I found myself gravely disappointed by the soundtrack in this title. And as for everybody's favorite discussion and topic, microtransactions and pre-order bonuses. This is something I couldn't avoid discussing. It's such a hotly contested issue in our industry currently. I simply had to discuss it, and that's what we're going to do briefly here. Now, there are microtransactions available within Assassin's Creed Origins that can give you drachma or improve the rate at which you level up and earn XP if people are looking to get through the game quicker than most other people. They also offer some cosmetic options, specifically outfits like this one that allows you to look kind of like a mummy for roughly $5 US a piece. And so these microtransactions are there. However, they are not pushed anywhere near the same level that you're going to find them pushed in a game like Battlefront 2. They're here, they're in a menu sort of tucked away, there is a game prompt that Pup's pops up early on in the game that tells you about them but for the most part you're never going to be faced with them there's not going to be many pop-ups pushing you to purchase these there's something optional you can get but for the most part as far as I can tell they don't actually affect the way that the world and the leveling system was structured After finishing the game, I actually can say that it almost feels as though the game developers behind Origins said, okay, Ubisoft executives, you want microtransactions in here, all right, we'll give it to you. But they just tucked it in a menu. They said there has to be a prompt to let the players know that they're there. Okay, we'll tuck it in right away and people will forget about it. And sure enough, that's what I did. After about 20 hours of gameplay, I didn't find myself wanting to accelerate or expedite the process. I actually found myself wishing that it was more drawn out, that there was more to do. Almost as if there was more grind. There wasn't, of course but that in and of itself shows that they didn't stretch this out to push and encourage that XP boost. All in all, I don't think the microtransactions are a real issue in this game, they are there and if you consider microtransactions an inherent issue then of course I guess it would be an issue, but for the most part they don't affect the way the game was structured or created which is a nice change of pace from what we see typically in the modern AAA title. Now, As for the pre-order bonus, this is something I've always not liked, the fact that they cut a mission out and added in if you pre-order the game and you have to buy it externally if you do not pre-order it. However, having played through this pre-order mission to test it out, I can say that it's actually fairly short. It's called the Secrets of the Pyramids, and you go through basically climbing at the top of two pyramids. You find a couple objects, you put them together, and then all of a sudden it's kind of over. It's incredibly short. I believe I was done with it in about 10-15 minutes And it was incredibly unsatisfying, didn't offer that much XP, and it has a level recommendation of 24, meaning that most people who pre-ordered the game aren't going to get to play through that mission until several days after they began playing, if they're playing it a lot, not to mention if you're just playing it casually on the couch over the weekend. And so it really seems as though Ubisoft recognized that, okay, we got to put a pre-order a bonus mission in there, but we don't want to make it such a critical and crucial quest that people feel as though they're being gypped by not pre-ordering, or maybe they just wanted to save labor and not put a lot of effort into it. That's another way of reading the situation as well. Nonetheless, it isn't a big deal, and I actually found myself kind of disappointed in it as a pre-order bonus. It was weirdly just another tiny quest that happened to be packaged with the game. Simply put, this particular instance, there was no real harm, and so I feel as though there's no real foul. Maybe I am making justifications, and I'm justifying the terrible business practices of this company... But to me, if I don't see a real issue here, I can't really criticize it too heavily. If these microtransactions affected the way that this game was designed and the way that they approached the design of the game, of course I would criticize it, but as far as I can tell, it didn't. And, of course, if the pre-order mission were vast and massive and offered a ton of XP to the point where it made a real difference in the long term, I would criticize it heavily, but here it seems so small it's almost difficult to justify purchasing it externally and certainly to justify pre-ordering the game for it. But that's about all I have to say there. And so, in closing, I do want to say that Assassin's Creed Origins has been one of the most impressive games I played this year, knowing how much work went into it and how far this series has come. Origins is coming off the heels of games like Unity and Syndicate, and so they didn't have to do a lot to blow those games out of the water because they were incredibly repetitive, dull, and uninspired. But they instead chose to be incredibly ambitious, recreate an entire ancient country and civilization, and give you a completely different take on a game that was previously well-beloved And reinvent the wheel, and I actually am very glad that they did. In a time in our industry where open world games seem to not have a lot of care put into them anymore, they're just large maps with a ton of small, menial tasks to be performed, Assassin's Creed Origins is actually a welcome change, and the fact that it comes from Ubisoft is a little surprising, to be honest. I can only hope this is a permanent change of pace and of attitude towards these types of games, at least from Ubisoft, because if we get another game in the same style, in the same franchise, from the same teams, we are in for a real treat. And so, Assassin's Creed Origins is going to get the much-coveted rank of a must-play from Poo. You absolutely have to play this game, whether it's in 2017, 2018, or 2020, whenever, you need to play this game. And with it going on sale in many different places for the holidays, it is a must pickup. I highly recommend it. That's all I can really say. But with all that said, Thank you guys for watching, honestly and truly. If you made it all the way through this video, you are a scholar and a saint, and I love you very much. Thank you for watching. If you have any thoughts, leave those down below in the comment section. I'll be reading through them and responding to as many as I can. Feel free to join our Discord, link's in the description below. We have a great time. Follow me on Twitter and consider supporting me on Patreon. I'm a struggling college student who's very passionate about video games and anything you give Will help. But with all that said, thank you for watching. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next video.